Lesson 5 for October 26 through to November 1, Violating the Spirit of the Law, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, October 26. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that over these past few weeks we've learnt a lot of history about your dealings with your people. And we also have learnt about how that you're the one that can be trusted. And as we study this week's lesson, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us, that we may see that what you have to say to us is just so important, but also that right there are the everlasting arms. Bless us, each one, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 11. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil, that you have charged them. Let's read that again, Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 11. Restore now to them even this day their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves and their houses, also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. To this day, we humans struggle with the question of wealth, poverty and the gap between the rich and the poor and what can be done about it. Yes, Jesus said that you have the poor with you always in Matthew 26 verse 11. But that's hardly an excuse to do nothing about helping them. On the contrary, Scripture admonishes us to do our part to help. We can barely call ourselves Christians otherwise. How fascinating too that even amid the trials and tribulations of the returning exiles in rebuilding Jerusalem, this theme appears, not just that of poverty and the poor, but that of the even more problematic question of the rich oppressing the poor. This was a problem before the exile, and now, even back in their own land, it reappears. This week, we will see another manifestation of this age-old theme, and how near my work to deal with it. As we will see, what made this oppression even worse was that it was being done within the letter of the law, a powerful example of how we need to be careful not to let rules and regulations become an end in and of themselves, rather than a means to an end, which is to reflect the character of Jesus. Sunday, October 27, People's Grievance Question, read Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. What is happening here? What are the people crying out against? Nehemiah 5, beginning at verse 1. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. 
Still others were saying, We have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. The Jewish community seems to be united under Nehemiah's leadership against the outside pressures. But all is not well within the nation that is standing up to persecution and defending itself from foreign assaults. Despite the outward appearance of toughness and cohesive efforts against the enemy, the community is broken inside. The leaders and the rich have been using the poor and underprivileged for their own gain. And the situation has become so bad that the families are crying out for relief. Some families were saying that they did not have any food to feed their children. Some were crying out that because of a famine, they had mortgaged their property and now had nothing. Other families moaned that they had to borrow money for the Persian tax, and even their children were slaves. It appears that the main culprit of the trouble was a famine and tax payments that caused the poorer families to seek help from their neighbours. The Persian government required a tax of 350 talents of silver annually from the province of Judah. It says here to see the note on Nehemiah 5, 1-5 in the Andrews Study Bible, page 598. You may need to look that up if you actually have a copy of the Andrews Study Bible. I don't, so I'm going to have to leave it there. I couldn't even find it online for you. If a person couldn't pay the designated portion of the mandatory tax, the family would usually mortgage their property or borrow money first. If, however, they couldn't earn the money the next year, then they had to do something about the debt that they now owed. Usually, debt slavery was the next option. They had already lost their land, and now they had to send someone from the family usually children, to be in the service of the creditor in order to work off the debt. There are times in life when we find ourselves in trouble because of the consequences of our own actions. Of course, there also are times when we end up sick or in financial straits through no fault of our own. The story above recounts a time that government policies disadvantaged the people, leading to intensified poverty. They were caught up in the spiral of deepening poverty with no way out. And so to finish today. How fascinating that then, as now, people struggle with economic oppression. What message should we take from the fact that this is a topic the Bible often addresses? Monday, October 28. Against the Spirit of the Law Question. Read Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 6 through to 8, also Exodus 21, verses 2 to 7. 
Why does Nehemiah react in anger? Nehemiah 5, beginning at verse 6, And I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them, and I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren, or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. And Exodus chapter 21, verses 2 to 7, If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do." However difficult for us to grasp today, slavery was a cultural norm in the ancient world. A parent could either become a slave himself, or herself, or sell a child. Socially and legally, the parents had the right to sell their sons and daughters. However, since God is all about giving freedom, he regulated the practice in Israel by requiring creditors to release their slaves every seven years. Thus, God protected people from becoming permanent slaves and demonstrated his desire for people to live freely. Although lending was permitted by the law, charging interest was not. For biblical regulations against usury, we're going to look at Exodus 22, verses 25 to 27, Leviticus 25, 36 and 37, and Deuteronomy 23, verses 19 and 20. Exodus chapter 22, beginning at verse 25. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. And Leviticus 25, beginning at verse 36. Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. You shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food at a profit. And Deuteronomy chapter 23 Beginning at verse 19, you shall not charge interest to your brother, interest on money or food or anything that is lent out at interest. To a foreigner you may charge interest, but to your brother you shall not charge interest, that the Lord your God may bless you in all to which you set your hand in the land which you are entering to possess. And yet, The interest that the lenders charged was small compared to what the nations around them charged. 
they were asked to pay 1% every month. Mesopotamian texts from the 7th century show interest of 50% for silver and 100% for grain annually. Thus, the 12% interest per year was low compared to the practice of the countries of Mesopotamia. But overall, according to God's word, the only thing the creditors did wrong was to charge interest, as we read in Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 10. I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please, let us stop this usury. And interestingly, the people didn't even mention that in their grievance. Everything else was within the social norm as well as within the provisions of the law. So why is Nehemiah very angry? Remarkably, he doesn't act right away, but gives the matter some serious thought. The fact that Nehemiah deals with the issue so decisively is very admirable. He doesn't leave a grievance alone just because it doesn't technically break the law or is socially acceptable, even nice compared to the practices of the land. It was the spirit of the law that was transgressed in this situation. Especially during a time of economic hardship, it was the duty of the people to help each other. God is on the side of the oppressed and needy, and he had to commission prophets to speak against the evils and violence committed against the poor. And so to finish today, what are ways that, even unintentionally, we can follow the letter of the law while violating the spirit behind it? And it says here to see Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good, And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Tuesday, October 29, Nehemiah Acts Seemingly the rebuke to the nobles and rulers, each of you is exacting usury from your brother, in Nehemiah 5.7, didn't bring the desired results. Thus, Nehemiah did not stop there, but continued to fight for the oppressed among them. He could have just said that he had tried to teach the nobles and rulers, but it didn't work, and so he was forced to drop the issue. After all, these were the rich and powerful of the land and that he would be going up against. But he was not satisfied until a solution to the problem was implemented, even if he created powerful enemies in the process. Question. Read Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. What are Nehemiah's arguments against what is going on? What does he use to persuade the people to write the wrong. Nehemiah 5, beginning at verse 7. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them, and I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren, or should they be sold to us? 
Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Then I said, What you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please, let us stop this usury. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. So they said, We will restore it, and will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests, and required an oath of them, that they would do according to this promise. Nehemiah calls a great assembly. All of the people of Israel are brought together to deal with this matter. He is most likely counting on the possibility that when all the people are present, the leaders will be ashamed, perhaps even afraid, to continue their oppression. Nehemiah's initial argument centers on slavery. Many of the Jews, most likely Nehemiah included, purchased freedom for other Jews in servitude to foreigners. Now he asks the nobles and rulers whether they find it acceptable to buy and sell their own people. Does it make sense for the Israelites to buy Jews and give them freedom only to have them end up as slaves of their own people? The leaders offer no response because they see that this argument is reasonable. Therefore, Nehemiah continues. He asks them, Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Then Nehemiah admits that he himself has been lending the people money and grain. By declaring, let us stop charging interest, in Nehemiah 5 verse 10, he affirmed the law that forbade this practice with fellow Hebrews and demonstrated that under his governorship, He would like people to be solicitous toward each other. Amazingly, the response is unanimous. The leaders agree to restore everything to the people. And so to finish today, have you done wrong to anyone? Most of us, if honest, would have to answer yes. What's stopping you, in whatever degree possible, from making restitution even now? Wednesday, October 30. An Oath. Question. Read Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Why does Nehemiah pronounce a curse against those who do not uphold their part of the agreement? Nehemiah 5, beginning at verse 12. So they said, We will restore it, and will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said Amen and praised the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. 
Even though the leaders agree to restore and give back what they have confiscated, Nehemiah is not satisfied with mere words. He needs solid proof. Therefore, he makes them swear an oath before the priests. This action also gave the proceedings legal validity in case he had to reference the agreement later. But why does he pronounce a curse? Nehemiah performs a symbolic act of gathering up his garments as if to hold something in them and then shaking them out as a sign of losing it. Thus, those who would go against this oath would lose everything. It was customary to utter curses in order to impress upon others the significance of a certain law or rule. The people also were less likely to go against the law when a curse was associated with the breaking of it. Nehemiah apparently felt that this was such an important issue that he needed to do something drastic in order to enhance the probability of its success. Question. What do the following texts in the Old Testament teach us about the sanctity of oaths from these people? Numbers chapter 30 verse 2. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23, beginning at verse 21. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be a sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. That which is gone from your lips you shall keep and perform, for your voluntary vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. And Ecclesiastes 5 verses 4 and 5. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Leviticus 19, verse 12. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And Genesis, chapter 26, and verse 31. Then they arose early in the morning, and swore an oath with one another, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. In the end, speech is a powerful gift that God has given to humans. It exists as something radically different from what animals have. And there is power in our words, the power even of life and death. Hence, we need to be very careful in what we say, in what we promise to do, and in what verbal commitments we make. It also is important that our deeds match our words. How many people have been turned off to Christianity by those whose words sound Christian, but whose actions are anything but? And so to finish today, think about just how much impact your words have on others. How can we learn to be very careful in what we say, when we say it, and how we say it?
Thursday, October 31, Nehemiah's Example Question, read Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 14 through 19. What reasons does Nehemiah give for not demanding the governor's provision or fees of verse 18 from the people? Nehemiah 5, beginning at verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year until the thirty-second year of King Artaxerxes, twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. But the former governors, who were before me, laid burdens on the people, and took from them bread and wine, and besides forty shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of the Lord. Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work, and at my table were 150 Jews and rulers besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowl were prepared for me, and once every ten days an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this I did not demand the governor's provisions, because the bondage was heavy on this people. Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people." Nehemiah most likely wrote the account of these verses after his return to the court of King Artaxerxes, after his twelve years of governorship in Judah. Although governors were entitled to receive revenue from their subjects, Nehemiah never claimed this right, but rather financed his own living. Not only did he pay for his own expenses, but he also provided for his family as well as the whole court. Zerubbabel, the first governor, is the only other governor whose name we know. When Nehemiah says the former governors, he is most likely referring to the governors in between Zerubbabel and himself. As a result, by the time he was done with his term in office, he very likely lost money. Rather than acquiring riches, as one would expect from a prestigious position, he probably forfeited wealth and possessions. Nehemiah was wealthy, which is why he could provide the daily food for many people, and he was generous in supplying plenty to others, as we read in verses 17 and 18. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep, also fowl were prepared for me, and once every ten days an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this I did not demand the governor's provisions, because the bondage was heavy on this people. Though it was not the same thing as what Abraham did after the rescue of those taken captive by some of the surrounding nations, which we see in Genesis 14, what Nehemiah does here nevertheless reveals the same crucial principle.
Let's read the story of Abraham in Genesis 14, beginning at verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admar, Shemabah, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is, Zoah. All these joined together in the valley of Shidim, that is, the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Chedorlaomer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephaim in Ashtaroth, Karnam, and Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shever-Keriathim, and the Horatites in their mountain of Seir, as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is, Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites who dwell in Hazazon Tamar. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admar, the king of Zoboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Shidim against Chedorlaomer, king of <coughs> Elam, Tidal, king of nations, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidon was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their provisions, and went their way. They also took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, and brother of Enah, and they were allies with Abram. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his three hundred and eighteen trained servants who were born in his house, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods, and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveth, that is, the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed them, blessed him, and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Ana, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them take their portion." Question, read Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 19. What is he saying here? 
And how do we understand this in terms of the gospel? Nehemiah 5, verse 19, Remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. What we see with Nehemiah is an example of someone who put the Lord and the Lord's work before his own personal gain and advantage. It's a good lesson for us all, regardless of our particular situation. It's easy to work for the Lord when it doesn't cost us much. And so to finish today, read Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8. In what ways, right now, can you reveal in your own life the self-denying principles expressed here? Philippians 2, beginning at verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And I just must say, that I've been recording these lessons for the blind and then for the podcast for the last 23 years. And this passage from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8, occurs in almost every series of lessons, because our faith is bound by the selflessness of our Saviour. Friday, November 1. From the book Prophets and Kings, page 648, we read, As Nehemiah heard of this cruel oppression, his soul was filled with indignation. I was very angry, he says, when I heard their cry and these words. I saw that if he succeeded in breaking up the oppressive custom of exaction, he must take a decided stand for justice. With characteristic energy and determination, he went to work to bring relief to his brethren. End of quote. And then, from Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 67, Jesus proceeded to lay down a principle that would make oath-taking needless. He teaches that the exact truth should be the law of speech. Let your speech be yea, yea, nay, nay, and whatsoever is more than this is of the evil one. And then, from the same book, page 68, These words condemn all those meaningless phrases and expletives that border on profanity. They condemn the deceptive compliments, the evasion of truth, the flattering phrases, the exaggerations, the misrepresentations in trade that are current in society and in the business world. They teach that no one who tries to appear what he is not, or whose words do not convey the real sentiment of his heart, can be called truthful. End of quote. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. One, why does selfishness lie at the core of our human problems when dealing with finances and interpersonal relationships? 
2. How can God's people avoid greediness? What is God's provision for it? Study the following texts, Isaiah 58, 3-12, and Micah 6, verses 6-8. First of all, Isaiah 58, beginning at verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls, and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast you find pleasure, and exploit all your labourers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate, and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast, as you do this day, to take to make your voice heard on high. Is it at fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spread forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rearguard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. And Micah chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? 3. Dwell more on the gift of speech and the power of our words. What does John 1 verses 1 and 2 mean when it calls Jesus the Word? How does this help us understand the importance of words and what they mean? John 1 beginning at verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And four, it's amazing that thousands of years ago, Jesus said that the poor would always be among us. We also are admonished to help those in need. How do these two ideas fit together in helping motivate Christians to work for those who are less fortunate? And here's something special. If you'd like to listen to the Week of Prayer readings in audio format, just go to hop.ec backslash WOP. That's 
hop.ec backslash WOP. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Stubborn Wife and it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. Convinced that Saturday is the biblical Sabbath, business owner Zalindo Jao Lay informed his wife he would leave their Sunday church in Los Palos, East Timor. What? Are you crazy? exclaimed his wife, Dulce. First you close our two mini-marts on Saturday, and now you want to leave the church? Why? I have found the truth in the Bible, he said. Dulce refused to discuss the matter any more. From now on, you go to your way and I'll go mine, she said. She stopped cooking for Zalindo and sometimes locked him out of the house. Zalindo cried and prayed. What is happening to me? I found the truth in the Bible, but now my wife wants a divorce because I'm following the Bible's teaching about the Sabbath. In the mornings, Dulce went to their larger mini-mart as usual, and Zalindo watched their young son at home. He took the noon to 9pm shift at the shop, and Dulce returned home to be with their son. One morning, Zalindo prayed, If you want me to leave my church, show me a miracle. At noon, he walked into the shop and was shocked to find Dulce reading the Bible. He had never seen her read the Bible before. He saw she was reading about the woman and dragon in Revelation 12. Darling, if you don't understand what you are reading, I can explain it to you, he said. Dulce abruptly slammed his hand onto the desk. The loud noise drew stares from customer. Dulce started crying. Why did they lie to us, she said. Why did they hide this from us? Zalindo hugged her. Thank you, God, for answering my prayer, he said. I have seen a miracle. On Saturday, the family went to a Seventh-day Adventist church for the first time. Later, Zalindo and his wife were baptised into the Adventist church. Zalindo, 42, said God has blessed beyond measure, as he had sought to honour him at work. He stopped selling alcohol, tobacco, coffee and tea, and he changed the employment rules. In addition to salaries, he provided employees with room and board. He asks them to worship with him every morning and evening and to attend Bible studies once a week. Salindo prays every day, I want to use this business to praise you. Help me to bring people to you. The employees have expressed amazement as they study the Bible. What you are teaching us from the Bible is really true, they say. Zalindo, whose picture is here on the left, said God has blessed his business beyond his biggest hopes. Eight employees have been baptised in four years. Part of the 2015 13th Sabbath offering helped build the first Seventh-day Adventist church in East Timor's capital, Dili. Thank you for your mission offering. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. It is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department, and through the services of Christian Services for the Blind. A video of this podcast also occurs on YouTube. Remember, God is always faithful.